Welcome to Author News Weekly, the weekly news show by authors for authors. We read the news so you don't have to. Join our panel of best-selling authors each week as we take a deep dive into the publishing world, both indie and traditional. Author News Weekly. Yeah, whatever. Welcome back to Author News Weekly. I'm Ari McGee, joined as always by a stellar cast of just amazing miscreants who happen to write books. So we're going to start out today by introducing in the flesh with us, but maybe not for much longer, Mr. Nick Dacker. Hey, I'm getting there one day at a time. A little more threatening, I think. All right. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, what am I going to be less fleshy tomorrow? (laughs) Soon to lose his corporeal being, (laughs) Mr. Nick Dacker. Next up, we have the wonderful Pippa Warner. Hello. And last but not least, my man from the West, Mr. Jim Heskett. Yes, hello. I'm also here. <laughs> I've been here the whole time. You just couldn't hear me before. Right I mean, on. how is he from the West if I'm farther West than anyone? See, it depends, I'm though, the right? It depends on which way you go, though, because you could be very, very East of me, or you could be very, very West of me. It's like I heard a thing, mm-hmm. right? If you just start walking North, eventually you'll be walking South, right? But if you go East, you'll never ever be going west i don't know man i don't think that's science that's (laughs) science hashtag facts okay hashtag facts (laughs) speaking of science listen are the aliens showing up anytime soon or what because i keep seeing crazy stuff about them and i'm kind of hoping they'll just make their presence known already i don't know but every rich person is trying to figure out a way to get off the planet right now which yeah i tell you what Mm, like the super rich guys are building rockets and stuff yeah Mm-hmm. Like, oh, no one worry. We're just all going up in rockets. <laughs> like, oh, okay. <laughs> yes, I think maybe there's some like undisclosed like arc or something that can just take the Illuminati off the planet if things get bad. Oh, could be. I did not get in with the right people in school. I'm saying. But in any event, so since uh, we've already talked about the world ending and all of us dying in a catastrophic event, maybe we should switch gears and get into the news. Mm. Yes! Yes! Oh, come on why would it not start over that was almost <laughs> why would it not play from the beginning oh, oh man i was so ready that time we were so why close it... man still oh. batting zero <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's time for us to go to single a ball for a while and work on our fundamentals yeah. <laughs> ouch yeah. All right. No, just me and Nick, not you guys. You guys are primed for the big leagues for sure. Oh, I, I blame Jim 100%. <laughs> what? <laughs> what did I do? Scapegoat Jim over there. Uh, all right. So let's get into the first question. Uh, Jim actually hipped me to this today. So I added it into the show notes. This is kind of interesting. It says, uh, Will App, this is from something called The Verge which made me automatically sing bittersweet symphony to myself until I Mm -hmm. realized it wasn't the verve, you know, and I got sad. Will Apple end the newsletter boom? How mail protection privacy will force the email economy to adapt. And we are all part of the email economy, at least the four of us Uh, listener. You should be as well. If not, we can talk about that another time, but I hope you are because sending emails is uh, mucho important. So, Uh, The first header here says, starting with the announcement on Monday at WWDC, Apple announced mail privacy protection, which will limit the amount of data 
that people who send you emails can collect about you. So it says the company says that in the mail app, mail privacy protection stops senders from using invisible pixels to collect information about the user. The new feature helps users prevent senders from knowing when they open an email and masks their IP address so it can't be linked to other online activity or used to determine their location. Now, as someone who looks at open rates and stuff pretty frequently when I send emails, should I be worried about this? What do you guys think? Is this a terrifying thing that's going on? Should you be terrified? No. Um, No. No, this is going to affect perceived open rates. It's going to make it look like your open rates are going down, you know, some amount. There are some email providers that already do this with the tracking pixel. Also, it is probably going to make it harder to automatically segment lists by geography if it hides their IP addresses. Now, that's bad. But the other reason, the main reason I wanted to share this article was mostly because of these kinds of clickbait titles. Anytime something like this happens, Mm. will Apple end the newsletter boom where it could have been like Apple puts the last nail in the coffin of email. (laughs) And then this stuff gets shared around author groups and people freak out because, you know, the people writing these articles don't really understand it. Mm. And then a bunch of authors who don't really understand it, share it around and then everybody freaks out and then the sky is falling and then the Facebook groups have to get shut down because there's too many bad comments or whatever. But that was the main thing I wanted to talk about that like, yes, this is, it's not a positive for email. It's not a positive for email marketers, but it's not that bad. It's not that big of a deal. Just don't buy into the sensationalist hype in the articles when they talk about how, you know, they just want to get clicks. So of course they're going to say this Apple is going to change everything, yada, yada. And then those headlines just draw you in and it makes it seem extra scary. Okay. So let's pretend like I'm not going to listen to Jim and I'm an author that doesn't know what all this means and I'm still terrified. All right. Sure. What does it mean? What is it even? What is all these? What is a pixel? What is all this stuff? So you can embed a very small kitten into your emails that will run back through the intertubes and tell the person who sent the email about you. And now you are not allowed to give put kittens in your emails anymore. It's a tiny kitten. It's very, a very, very small kitten. What an amazing explanation. <laughs> the internet is a series of tunnels filled with cats mm, delivering messages. Kittens. And okay. um, right, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I know a little more about this than a lot of authors just because I built an email service called Author Email. And so this is, I don't want to say big news for us. It's something that's relevant to us. And so we're all excited <laughs> about it is the way I should say it, right? In excitement, I don't mean like it's all good things. Like Jim said, there's some, there's some things here that Apple's doing that are going to make it more difficult for people to market via email. However, what this article fails to mention is that um, a lot of services like Gmail, which a lot of people use has been effectively doing this for a long time. They run every single email that ends up in their inbox through their own servers in California. And so what effectively does is it proxies all the emails. And so the IP address looks like it's coming from California. So if the person getting the message in Gmail opens the email and the tracking pixel, which is what Pippa you're talking about, that one by one kitten, if you will, has that set to show that doesn't necessarily mean the person sending the email is going to see that as an open anyway. That's with Gmail and Hotmail and Yahoo and Outlook and all these you know big free email inboxes. Because again, these companies know better than you individual and they want to protect you individual. So that's why they did it. So the truth is open rate is actually a, a BS metric. It's not something that we should be relying on 
at all. It's an interesting metric and it can give us, you know, some individualized data, but you know, it's really not something that we need to be making a lot of decisions based on. Now that Apple's doing it and Apple's sort of fighting against Facebook and, and all that with privacy stuff lately, this is news because everyone's thinking that Apple's, you know, well, look how far they're going to protect my privacy. This isn't new. This is just Apple's way of doing the same thing that we've already seen. All that to say, I think the question on people's minds listening to this might be, well, what metric do we use instead? And without getting too far, because this isn't an email discussion, open reach is the answer to that question, which is effectively just instead of looking at the individual open rate of an email you send out, which might be 20%, you know, you send an email and 20% of people open it. Open reach takes the number of unique opens, no matter how that's tracked, whether it's a pixel or some other, you know, click or something over a certain amount of time. Usually that's three months and, you know, marketing speak because quarters and stuff. And so by looking at the open reach, you actually can see generally how many unique people are opening your email over time rather than an individual email blast, you know, that has an open rate. So I don't want to get too far into it, but the point is, like Jim said, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal to you as author because you're not scamming people. You're not sending spam. You're sending updates to people who want to hear from you. And there's a very good chance that the people who want to hear from you will figure out how to hear from you. Okay. Whoa. I feel like the three of you have sufficiently talked me off the edge. So thank you. I won't worry about my you're email welcome. right now. Thank you very much. Okay. So let's move on to the next story. So this is kind of interesting, right? We've got Storytel partners with Spotify. Okay. Now for people who are not aware, uh, Storytel, it's like an audible type situation, right? Like they help put out audiobooks. And so now it looks like they're partnering with Spotify to have a larger reach and things like that and to have some integration. So this seems like good news, right? Competition is always a good thing. What do you guys think? Yeah. I'm intrigued. The things that they worry about in the podcast where they talk about it might reduce author payouts and things like that. Those are things I see as pretty inevitable. Like if that's the way the market is moving, then that's the way the market is moving. And if this is the innovation that brings us there, then it is. It's not like Audible was giving people a great amount of return for the number of people that were reading their books. So, Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. You guys, I'm sure, are more familiar with Storytel than I am. What is kind of their niche or like what's their foothold in this world? Is that they're big overseas? Is that what it is? Because when I go to their website, it says, please choose your country. And I don't see the States. I don't see Canada. I don't see. Yeah, the they're, guys. they're based in Sweden. Okay. Wasn't Spotify so that's a European be, company? Yeah. I don't know. Um, it is. is it? Yeah. They have U.S. headquarters, I think now, but. Yeah, you know, we're kind of moving toward an international market economy in any way. So I don't think that's really, that's not the differentiating feature, Ari, I don't think, with this. Storytel is basically a way to get your audiobooks out there, but there's a lack of exclusivity with Storytel. Mm. Um, they don't require exclusivity to go with them. So, right, so that's the big difference between, I mean, I'm sure there's more, but that's the big difference for me of going with like an Audible versus going with everything else. So this could be part of a going wide strategy. Actually, Dan Holloway in this article. So it's just another store, really, but. It is a big partnership with Spotify because Spotify is a pretty big deal. Right. I mean, that's what I mean. It's just yeah. a, it's a marketplace, I should say. But its partnership with Spotify kind of sets it apart from all the different audiobook stores out there. Okay. All right. Well, I guess we'll keep an eye on this, kind of see, see if there's something actionable we can use when Storytel and Spotify kind of link up. Because I think a lot of people are wide with their audiobooks if they can be. And so I think more avenues is always best for that. I have a so, follow-up question for, for you guys. So what I'm seeing with all this stuff, you know, is audiobooks 
are kind of following behind ebooks, which are following behind, like you might say, the music industry. And so we're going this route of commoditization, or if that's the right word, commodif- something like that, of audiobooks now, which is, you know, of course, they're more accessible, they're more available, and thus are going to be cheaper. Do you think that'll be true? Do you think we'll have authors getting paid less because audiobooks are more available and more easier to purchase? I think the only way audiobooks are going to get cheaper is if the production costs go down, i.e. artificial intelligence narrators. Once mm. that happens, then they'll be able to produce audiobooks are super cheap and you'll get it. It'll The Kindle version will still be the most expensive version on the Amazon store and the audiobook will be six bucks because it's, Hi, you know, they can produce it. This is the it robot in- voice of Nick Thacker. I am testing it to see if I can replace my beautiful voice on all of my podcasts so I don't have to do as much work every day. But that came through. Um, and there you I go. felt like it was, I was given a softball by Jim there to, to cue that up. <laughs> <You're welcome. laughs> I happened to have the tab open. I wasn't actually planning on playing that, but that's, I think you're exactly right, Jim. I didn't even consider that. I was just thinking in terms of like, hey, if all of a sudden it's easy to publish an ebook, right? And so Kindle circa 2009, 2010, whenever that came out, you know, it was like, hey, everybody can upload their Word document they've had on their hard drive for 20 years and or however long parts have been a Word perfect document and upload it. And then they're a published author. It's not that easy with ebooks, right? I mean, with mm-hmm. audiobooks. Yeah, right. there's more of a barrier to entry, right? Because you yeah, got to, yeah. I think it's what it's going to do is it's going to make the AI, the different platforms will have to relax their feelings on AI because what it's going to do first is it's going to squeeze profits, which will mean that a great number of audiobook production will slow way down. Well, one of the things I'm planning to do, you know, obviously I played that example. That's a recording of my own voice turned into an AI version of my own voice. So I typed all that. Anyway, uh, that's for the listeners. I know you guys know that. But there are really, really good neural net based AI voices now, and they're only getting better and better. And so one of my plans is to actually release one version of my audiobooks as an AI generated voice, which will be a lot cheaper for my readers, you know, if they want, or listeners, I should say, if they want to go buy an audiobook from me, they can pay whatever it is, 20 to $30 for the primo one that's been narrated and, you know, acted out and everything like that. They can pay five bucks for one that was generated by AI. Because there's a lot of people out there. I've heard this from some readers. I don't think it's the majority, but I think there are a lot of people out there who would be fine listening to a really good AI voice, knowing that it's computerized and everything, but they only had to pay five bucks for it. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, the best news is I don't need to spend a bunch of money to test that theory. We've already got websites. We've already got ways to sell direct on our website. This would be an exclusive product. So it doesn't, there's no exclusivity clause at all. The content is mine. So I can produce that AI voice simultaneously while hiring a narrator to do like a more primo version, you know? Of course, the musician in me is also going to go the route of like, well, here's a primo version, right? Where you can get the audio background, the music background, underscore stuff with a nice narrator and all that. So there could be tears to this thing. Mm. Anyway, I think, right, though, that'll be hard to sell right now on store. Find Away Voices is exclusively no AI voices. They've, they've said that. And they mm-hmm. will decline your content if you try to upload one that's AI generated, as far as they know. <laughs> so I guess, how would you get around that? Let's say Find Away didn't want to get on board for a while. You could maybe, BookFunnel does a thing now where you deliver audio content through them, right? Is yeah, that a possibility? The, yeah, that's a possibility. You're right, though. Like for the, I would call them the casual audiobook purchaser, right? They're just going to go to the store they're familiar with. They're going to go to Audible. They're going to go to Amazon, maybe, and then get kicked over to Audible. They're going to go to Spotify now or whatever, and they're going to buy an audiobook. And so that's, you're not going to get your AI stuff there right now. Mm-hmm. But if you have a mailing list, and you should, if you're talking to your readers and engaging them, 
I think there's potential for being able to say, hey, look, you can do all those things. And I, I still make some money with that. But you can also get this much cheaper version directly through me. Mm. You know, yeah. how you deliver it could be BookFunnel or, you know, I use WooCommerce or, you know, Shopify as an example. Or you could one, just put it on YouTube with ads. Yeah, you, that's right. You could, you could, or as well, in you know, YouTube, you got to have uh, what a thousand hours of listening time before you can um, monetize it. subscribers before yeah. you can monetize it. Yeah, yeah. You can put it on this new Apple paid podcast thing. Mm. I don't. Put, I haven't heard anything about AI voices with Apple Podcasts. There you go, man. True. We're gonna have to look into that. It's pretty good. You know what else? I was thinking about the audiobook in general. Maybe we'll get somebody on to kind of talk to us about that. But maybe we won't talk to them too much about AI. We don't want to. We don't want to make them mad. <laughs> someone's trying to steal their job in any event. All right. Well, that's good stuff, guys. We'll look at this and we'll get someone on that knows more about audiobooks than we do. And this will all make sense at some point in the future. So this is actually a very apropos story because my brain hurts from all of the technical stuff and the pixels learning about those just recently. So we've got a story here from Jane Friedman and it is strained brain how to stoke your mental fire. Now, I think that this is something that I'm actually really interested in because one of the things I like the most about talking to other authors is kind of hearing their process and how they deal with some of the same struggles that I deal with. So the first sentence, I think kind of two sentences kind of encapsulates everything. It happens to everyone from time to time. You're just not too excited about being a writer anymore, right? We all churn these books out. We write a lot. And sometimes you're just not feeling it. You're not feeling it anymore. So my question is, how do you guys combat that? And my follow-up would be, how much time off do you allow yourself or do you schedule yourself? So I'm kind of interested in, uh, let me hear from Pippa first. How do you combat fatigue? And then do you think it's okay to schedule yourself time off? How do you get around this kind of fatigue situation? So actually, this is coming at a very interesting time for me for just in my own writing scheduling, because I started a new writing schedule, I want to say six to eight weeks ago, where I was realizing that I was just falling way, way behind. And part of this was simply project management. I have like three jobs that I'm doing. And so I needed to be <laughs> clear on where my time was going and where my production was. But I about halved what I expect from myself for per day for words. So I now shoot for 5,000 words per day instead of eight to 10. And that has actually paradoxically- Good God. <laughs> Good God. Someone needs to say it, okay? Good Lord, Pippa. Sorry. Hands Warner over here. <laughs> I don't try to save you know, three third world countries from starvation every day. I just, I just shoot for like one or two. Be reasonable. <laughs> okay, so possibly in most, we'll take all of the numbers out of that. Um, just say I have what I was trying to do every day, and that's actually sent my productivity through the roof. Yeah. And I'm taking at least every third week as an admin week now. So no writing. It's just stuff like recording podcasts and making sure that all of my new covers are uploaded at all of the different mm. platforms and things like that, because I lost my VA back to another job. And so mm. now I, I need to be doing my own admin stuff. So basically, it's allowing myself time to decompress. And so yeah, let me, let me ask you. So you say every third week you do as admin. So if you're like hot and heavy in the middle of your book, 
you just hit pause, hit the pause button. Sorry, I should have said every fourth week. So basically, that would be seventy five thousand words over. Um, oh, so you're done. Weeks. You're done with the book. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> like I'm, I'm launching into a, a contract writing job that's a ninety thousand word book. So I'm going to do four weeks and then the admin week there. But that's what I'm trying to do, and it has actually helped a lot because it means that it's an attainable amount of work. If I get to 1 p.m. and I haven't gotten very much done for the day, it's not like I should just give up because I'll never get this mountain of work done. It's okay, well, I can still get everything out of the way. And I've been taking the weekends actually off and my stress level has been dropping. But I'm someone who needed to be hospitalized more than once before I learned how to slow down slightly. So (laughs) if everyone else could learn from my mistakes without the hospitalization, that would definitely be my goal there nice. <laughs> nice no that's i applaud you man i applaud you. we've all got our own workflow and that's impressive i'm very proud to know that you're on the same podcast with me so well done <laughs> jim what do you got man how do you deal with this situation and what's your productivity like bro so is the question do i take breaks well the first question is how do you combat burnout and the follow-up question is do you schedule yourself breaks or how do you insert breaks into your writing routine Well, the second question, I don't really take breaks. I probably should, but I generally don't take breaks. I do creative stuff in the morning. I do admin stuff in the afternoon, usually. I like to do admin stuff with episodes of The Office on in the background, such. Um, But I wrote a book a few years ago about how to crank out words mindlessly. I'm not really exactly like that anymore. The pandemic kind of threw a big wrench into my productivity. And since then, every day has been kind of like a beautiful mystery. Mm. that I don't know exactly when things are going to happen. Um, But I don't really get burned out. If I'm sick of something, if I'm sick of a series, then I'll do a little palate cleanser. You know, I've had a series that I've been putting off for a solid year because I don't want to write it. My solution was I found a different series to write so I can put that one off for another six months or so. So yeah, punting. That's my Mm. solution. (laughs) Nice, man. (laughs) Like, well, we'll get to you later. We'll get to you later. Yeah, pretty much. Sorry, Lane. Lane's going to have to take a break for a while. We'll we'll move over here. So, Nick, Nick, I know you got a lot to say about this. Not really, man. Pretty simple. Like I, very similar to Jim, like I have a lot of projects that I've got going on. Some are writing, some are not, but they're all creative in a sense. And so I can definitely busy myself during the day. I have more of a challenge with facing a deadline for a book because I'm like, well, I want to write this book, you know, but okay, I've set myself a deadline and my readers expect it. So I have a tough time with that. But I I find that creativity for me anyway, is is like a muscle in that, you know, you work it out and it sort of, let me put it this way. Like, I think Richard Branson was the guy, somebody asked him, how do you have so much energy? And his answer was, I work out every day. And I've noticed that to be true. Like I did a long stint after moving where I didn't work out at all. And I finally got back to the gym and have been going regularly. And I just noticed my energy throughout the day being a lot higher because I'm expending it. It's funny because I'm expending energy more than I ever was in the morning, right? But when I work out, but then all of a sudden throughout the day, I have this boost of energy and I find my creativity goes up and all that. So working out helps. But I think creativity in and of itself is like that, meaning I can write a thousand words and I really don't want to. I'm just like, this is the last thing I want to do right now. I have so many other projects I'd rather do, but okay, I just need to do it. And I write a thousand words and then I don't want to stop because I'm excited about it. I saw all of a sudden motivated. So for me, I force myself a lot of times where I'm like, hey, I'm not feeling it. all these, my mind is in a million different places, but okay, I just need to do it. And I sit down and I write the first word and then a thousand and then 2000 and then 3000 come out of it or whatever. And then my day's done. And then the next day I wake up excited to write. 
you know, again. So I find that I go into a funk where I don't write for a week or two weeks or three weeks. And then all of a sudden I just sit down and force myself to do it knowing that I'm not going to want to, first of all. Then once I get started, I'm going to want it a lot more and my creativity all of a sudden goes up. So I, I hope that makes sense. I'm just kind of rambling there. But yeah, I think it is kind of my blessing and curse that I can be interested in a lot of things and have a lot of plates spinning that are things I can work on. But then of course, opposite side of the same coin is that the curse of it is I have a lot going on and there's a lot of plates that I put in the air. So it's easy for me to bounce around to a thousand different things and never get stuff, in. Guys. I think that's all good stuff. I think you all kind of have a, a little different way that you approach it, but there are some commonalities. So I think that makes a lot what of sense. What about you though? Oh, me. Well, um, you know, it's funny. I probably about a year ago, I halved my expectation from a thousand to 500. So when you said you have yours to five, I was like, oh, we do the same thing. And then you said thousand. And I was like, oh, no, we don't. We are different beasts. <laughs> we are completely different beasts. Um, so for me, I know that 500 words, when I have a higher word target, sometimes, like you said, it'll put me off a little bit because I know that it's going to take a lot of effort. But 500 words is like 15 minutes or something. So I can find that no matter what. And kind of like Nick said, I always uh, exceed that because once you start, it's like Pringles. And I take in between books, I probably take a week or two off. I take a week and do nothing. And then I take a week and try to do some kind of outlining, which never works out. And then <laughs> the Monday comes up and I start Feel a new that. book and I'm like, oh yeah, I was supposed to figure this out. I'm going to leave a lot of in-text comments for myself to look up later about where the airport in, in Siberia is. So one of the things you said that is true is you have like, you know, you try to write 500 words a day. I have experienced that same thing where I'm like, well, I want to write 5,000 a day, mm. but then I never get there. And I'm living in this constant state of failure, right? Yes. And so I have reduced my word count to a number that I think is imminently achievable, like a thousand words a day. I'm a full-time yeah. writer, probably should be able to knock out a thousand words a day, right? And so I've found the same thing as you. Like once I get going, man, those words shoot through me like fire sauce at Taco Bell. Like it's just, they come out nice and quick and it's a lot easier to get a thousand words in than. Well, than and it also, if you keep not getting into the zone with a chapter, you keep finding literally anything else to do than write a specific chapter. It starts to be this clue to you that something is wrong in the outline. Mm. You know, it just a scene you're worried about writing emotionally or more usually it's just you needed filler space and you actually need to find something you want to write there. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. I kind of feel like sometimes, you know, my brain kind of like knits things together unbeknownst to me, you know? And so like you said, like if I run into something, I just can't, like, I just can't get it done. Like there's something wrong with this. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to skip this chapter and, and go take a shower later and figure something out. Cause you know, I do my thinking in the shower. So in any event, okay. So for our last story today, let's give people a little bit of hope. Now I feel like because I hang out with you guys and I hang out virtually with a lot of other established and accomplished authors, you know, you guys all have a bunch of books out. It's been a long time since, you know, any of us were the person who was just struggling to get that book out. And so I think that there are probably some people that are listening that haven't got their first book out. And so I kind of want to give them a little bit of hope, maybe a little kick in the keister about doing this. So this story comes to us from uh, Nick's favorite publication, The Guardian in Britain, and it's called Never Too Late. In my 40s, I realized writing a novel had become like Everest. Uh, Amanda Hampson always dreamed of writing, but it wasn't until after 50 it wasn't until age 50 after a complicated life and all sorts of jobs that she was able to publish her first novel. And so 
you know, this is just interesting. It's got this woman's story and all this stuff. And it kind of goes on to say that when she was in her forties, she realized that writing a novel had become like Everest. The more books she read, the more intimidating it was. And she was just kind of worried that she was never going to do it. So good for Amanda, but I guess I don't care much about her book as much as I just want to use her as a jumping off point. Uh, If you guys knew someone who was in her same situation of any age, what would you tell them to get them going towards getting their Everest summited? Butt in chair. Get your butt in a chair and do the writing. (laughs) It kind of depends. Some people are very much like not just plotters, but they need to be talked through the, they want to do a whole bunch of research about how Mm -hmm. they should go about writing a book. And I am like this weird hybrid where I need to read, like I download about 10 books about whatever thing that I'm trying to do that's new. And then I read about three of them and then I just leap into it without reading the other seven. Yeah. Um, so for one me, of those writing- guys know. <laughs> <laughs> I got these first three books. I know what I'm doing. I'm just going to average this and, and go. And so it kind of depends. Tell them to figure out how they approach these projects. But I think there's just so much that you could only learn from actually sitting down and starting to write the book. Yeah. Kind of the second book is where I would want to check in with them. Because you write the book and you've, you're getting it out of yourself and you're doing the editing and you're learning everything. And then you sit down and you're like, oh, I got to do all this again. Mm, yeah. Oh, oh, that's good advice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, just so do like, it. That's and then when the you second book, can talk about how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I got to. Yeah. I, got I, you. I think that's great advice because, you know, I'm like, there's so many things, right? Like writing a book, um, losing weight, you know, all these things. It's like we don't need the knowledge. We just need to do it. I'm not losing weight because I don't know how. It's because I'm just not doing the things that need to be done, right? So that's the same thing with writing a book. I don't think there's any mystery out there about, well, how do I write a book? Well, you sit down and you write the book. There, yeah, there's a little bit of research you can do, what kind of book you want to write. But typically, by that point, people already know. They say, want to write a book, they already know what it's going to be. All right, it's going to be a memoir. Great, well, just fucking start writing, you know? like <laughs> Nothing else matters until you get it done. And people always get hung up on, I've talked to a few people like this, where they're like, they get hung up on, well, what if it's not any good? And I'm like, well, it's, it's absolutely not going to be any good. That's not the point. You know, it's going to suck. But you don't have to show anybody, you know, until you're happy with it. But you can't show anybody anything unless you... You can't edit a blank page. <laughs> can't edit a blank page, you know. And so, I, yeah, I'm, I'm very much like, I don't think people who haven't written a book and say they want to write a book don't actually want to write a book. I truly believe that. And it's not a mean thing. It's just, a, it's true. If you wanted to do it, you would have done it. You would be working on doing it. If you really, really wanted to, because it's not hard. It's not hard. I mean, it's challenging doing it, you know, and getting it all done. That's a big accomplishment, but it's not hard as far as like what to do. Yeah. There's a concert pianist who says that pretty much every concert he's in, at least one person will come up to him after the end of it and say, God, I would just give anything to be able to do what you do. And he's like, no, you wouldn't (laughs) because like, I practice all the time that like, that's, (laughs) that's how I do this. It's not a mystery. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like, you know, I've got buddies, you know what I mean? And I'll be like, all right, guys, I got to take off. I got to get up early. Like, come on, man. You know, you're getting up early all the time. And it's like, yeah, dude, it's how it gets done. You know, you read the books and you go, damn, I wish I wrote a book. And I'm like, you don't wish enough, man. (laughs) You don't wish enough to, to not have that third round. You know, like, look, I sit over here. I write my 500 words a day. I'm up at 9 a.m. Nice and early like everybody else. And that's right. Get it done. I yawn. (laughs) I yawn. I brush my teeth and I knock my 500 out. (laughs) (laughs) It's like three weeks worth of stuff there, man. 
It's a lot of words for me. It's a lot of words for me. What about you, Jim? I, I think you have something more reasonable to say than just do it, right? Well, I think the the advice I would give to someone who's struggling to finish their first book or struggling to find an agent or struggling to whatever is that to focus on comparing yourself to where you used to be, not comparing yourself to where you think you should be. Because if you focus on progress instead of expectations, then you can always get better. But if you focus on expectations, then the best you can really do is meet them or fail. And those aren't Mm. great options. Mm. So focus on where you've come from and where you're going and not where you think you should be right now. I like it, man. I don't know. Is that better than do it? I don't know. It's it's not as catchy. I think they're all good. I think everybody, you know, it's like, you know, the right lesson, the right teacher at the right time, you know? Everything makes sense to somebody at some point. So, yeah. And uh, when I was doing Taekwondo much more regularly, it was always like if you couldn't figure out a technique and whoever was helping you wasn't helping enough, we'd be, just be like, okay, go talk to all of the black belts until one of them explains it in a way that makes sense to you. That's right. Someone can get through to you at some point, but mm-hmm. no, it's good stuff. I think you guys are right. But I, I think ultimately you do just have to sit down and write the thing. It's simple, but it's not easy. And no one said it would be. So, all right, guys. Well, I think that is about it for us for the week. You guys got anything you want to add before we get out of here? Anything to promo or gift of wisdom to drop on anybody? No, no oh, not right now. Okay. Wisdom. Right. Hey, <laughs> gifts of wisdom, man. Share it freely. Some wisdom nuggets, huh? No, keep the nuggets to yourself. No, no. Abort, abort. Go check out the Thriller Cartel on Facebook and give it a follow. Yeah, there you go. Thriller Cartel. There are some uh, some hapless gentlemen that play around on that Facebook page. And we would love to see you if you uh, stop by. So since we got nothing else to say, I am Ari McGee saying thank you for listening. For all of us, this meeting is over. Goodbye, everybody.